The Bi Urban Yogi, Episode 13, featuring Amy Jindra. I'm Will Blunderfield. I'm a psychology major, kundalini yoga teacher, spin instructor, recording artist, and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher in training. Join me in this free-flowing conversation with mentors and experts on such diverse topics as queer theory, holistic well-being, and music. Amy is a powerful tantra teacher, sacred sexuality coach, intuitive, author, an artist. Passionate about sharing sacred sexuality and the healing it brings through Tantra, Amy takes great pride in helping create a world without shame and guilt, especially around sexuality and our bodies, so that everyone can live a fully expressed and vivid life. Her mission is to build a platform of sexual health and education programs, bringing awareness to sexual trauma and the power of Tantra to heal. Please enjoy my interview with Amy Jindra. Press record, and then when it starts to sound interesting, I'll just splice it. Okay. I, I edit them a lot, so like we can we can say anything, we can go deep, and then awesome. if there's certain things like, oh, let's not say that, we can Are we allowed to curse? Out. You can curse. There's an explicit sign on all of mine, mm. just in case, just so I don't get kicked off iTunes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so I'm here with Amy Jindra, and Amy is a native of Texas, and you say you said that you're living in New York City right now. Mm-hmm. How long have you been there? Um, well, I'm actually not living in New York anymore. No? I'm now in Vancouver. Oh, but you actually are officially moved here. I'm officially oh, in Vancouver Oh, congratulations. Now. High five. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, I, I was in New York City. I met my partner on Facebook. Really? And then... We didn't want to do the long distance thing, so I moved yes. to China with him, and I then see. we moved to Australia, and then we tried California. And Where in Australia is he from? Perth. Oh my god, I love guys from Perth. This is so quiche. <laughs> You're just a little bit hotter than cool, quiche. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. just want to root them all. Sorry. And you should. <laughs> should I? I so should. They all need a little grounding. If they you know do. What I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find um, I've met some guys from Toowoomba. Okay. In Toowoomba, sort of like the Gold Coast, and they, they're really sort of like, their accent's really thick and a lot of like and farmers and juicy. Yeah, so what are the guys like from Perth? Are they more sort of like surfer dudes or? Uh, there's a mixture. Um, my birth, my boyfriend actually is from a farm like four okay. hours from Perth. So nice. definitely. So he's got a nice, good accent. Oh, yeah, super rough, super oh, country. Really yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so you guys met on Facebook, mm-hmm. and you said that he was working in Vancouver prior. Yeah, he um, does strength and conditioning for athletes, so he was nice. working here in Vancouver, and then he got a job with the NBA developing players in China. So. Holy moly. Yeah. Good for him. And how old is he? He's, oh, I don't ask me that. I think he's, 20, <laughs> just number, he's 26, 27, maybe 28. He seems like very, very young. <laughs> Yeah. And and you're very young too. You're like 29, 30 or something. I'm like 30, that. yeah. Nice. I'm 33. I just turned 33 uh, last Dude, week. Dude, Jesus year. I like it. Jesus year. No, yeah. yeah. Somebody was saying that three is like the number of compassion. Is that yeah. true? Um, I think everything's compassion. Like, why not? Mm. But 
I What's know Jesus here? 33 is the year that he even started. So he wasn't oh, really yeah. Jesus until 33 when he started his ministry. Oh, I didn't realize that. So that, that was like the year that he came into being a teacher. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I did not know that. Very nice. I like that. Thank Bible you. school. Thanks for sharing that. Bible <laughs> school, girl. <laughs> one of my favorite songs, I went to vacation Bible school one summer and we learned this song on... Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. And I just love Christian music. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus is awesome. And um, I got to go to the Christian Junos, which are like the Christian Grammys. Nice. And I was so into it, and they had a projector screen of all the words, so I could sing, and we could say it was lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, I love going to church. Yes. And like the older the church, the better. And I just feel so connected, and mm. people get so confused because it's like, oh, you teach Tantra and sacred sexuality, and you talk so much about the goddess and the feminine aspect of like, of a higher power and yet you love church which is so opposite and for me it's not it's like I bring that truth wherever I go and it's just like I just feel so connected in church it's just a place that you really can sink your teeth into I am here to be better and to connect with something bigger and I think that's so missing I agree do you think one day there'll be more of a an openness to um, the expression of sensuality within church Yes, I definitely do. Um, Just from the amount of Christian women or people of different religions that study with me or we work together. Like, um, I had a client wrap up who lives in Dubai and she's Muslim and it had nothing to do with religion. It was, she knew something was missing in her life and wanted to tap into her sensuality. So that's just one example. Like, I, I think it's something so universal and people are... It doesn't matter what they believe in, they feel that something's missing. Yes. I was going to ask you in my list of questions, what role does sensuality play in spirituality? So there's a few different roles that it plays. So for one, um, sensuality, your five senses, opening up through your body to experience the outside world, you can actually use them to tap into the divinity and everything, to see the creation, to see the wonderment and the beauty and the healing that really already is in everything. You can use your senses to do so. Um, It also allows you to experience the life that you're given. And for me, um, it's so many books, whether that's the Bible or in different yogic studies, it's like transcend the body, transcend the body, transcend the body. And you're trying to leave your body behind. A lot of, I was broaching that to a friend the other day, a lot of schools of yoga are about leaving the body. There are a few that are about being in the body and jiva mukti, living liberation, here and now, enjoying our senses and being the blissful, beautiful, beautiful creatures we're meant to be in this body. Yeah. And I'm all about that. Like, I can experience something in my body and see God and feel more connected than ever. And I think that whatever your definition of God is, is that you're connected to something bigger and that you're connected to something that is tied to why we exist and creation and beauty. And I think that our body is a huge conduit of that if we allow it to be. True that. What practices do you engage in? What good daily habits do you have that keep you as that beautiful conduit that you are? 
Great question, because I do follow the path of the goddess, so it's a little wild and it's constantly changing and it's cyclical, where I feel um, a lot of the more masculine practices are very structured and very rigid, and I'm not saying that's not necessary, because it totally is necessary, um, but I find the practices that work for me is to move my body. I use sacred masturbation as a huge tool to get back to my energy, to release anything that's not mine or any thoughts or worries that are just dragging me down, keeping me back. Um, awesome. I love um, the idea of sacred masturbation. And I, I'm feeling, my intuition is saying, and this may be incorrect, when a man ejaculates, oftentimes when I ejaculate, I feel very depleted after which is why I've been practicing semen retention. So I'm training myself to be able to orgasm and have full body quivering orgasmic states without always having to ejaculate. Whereas I find women that I've been with, when they ejaculate, they don't seem to be as tired as the dudes that I've been with. And they seem to be like ready and ready to go again. Is that true? I think that is putting a limitation on men and women. Mm. Um, through my experience, and I know that there's so many books that say like oh, your jing or your ejaculate is your life force. Mm. I and, wonder if that's true or not. And you know, these wise people have said it, and a part of me does agree with it. But I also can see with the experience I've had in my life, the experience of working with different clients, you can cultivate that energy, you can grow that energy. You can harness it, and not just um, whether you ejaculate. It's how easily you are mastering your own energy. Are you allowing your life force to go with that ejaculate? Are you in that moment conscious of what you're putting that energy towards? And I find that it's not necessarily the ejaculate that is your life force that's depleting you. It's where are you putting that energy? Like, what are you putting it towards? Are you doing anything with it? Are you feeling where it's going? Are you just boom, 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 boom? Ah, right. I'm tired. So are you conscious about your intention or are you just sort of blindly doing something? Yeah, and my experience with men is it wasn't about the ejaculate. Like, it was about the practices to harness your energy and keep your life force energy very intentional towards something. Cool. However, I will say that there is so many different ways to look at it and so many different experiences that you can have. I know in a lot of ways, we form our own experiences. And I've read all these books that are like, yeah, semen retention, great. I've read other books that say, no, semen retention, not great. Um, right. Because you can and have everything so many, is so yeah. polarizing. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you're alluding to or, or pointing at is that it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, and it's not polar. Like, for example, if somebody's ejaculating mindlessly eight times a day, yep. that might be depleting. Yep. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if, if somebody is retaining their semen and doing it in a very forceful way that's not flowing with their original self, maybe that's not the healthiest either. Yeah, and I also find that a lot of it comes down to your body. Like, do you have a lot of testosterone? Do you really, and it comes down to actually working out your body, um, that mind-body energy connection, your energy is directly connected to the strength of your body. So if you're not constantly strengthening your body, you're going to feel depleted when you expel that energy. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and I was, I'm so glad that you brought this up because I've been thinking and feeling like, you, we were talking before the interview started about um, 
like uh, supercharging, for example, your yoga practice with sexual energy, and how that's kind of like rocket fuel. Which, how necessary is it, or how important is it to strengthen the physical apparatus so that it can handle the rocket fuel in a healthy way? Yeah, well, our body is not an apparatus. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but I know what you mean. I know exactly what you're trying to say. And it is so important because you can cultivate all what of this. What do you call it? Uh, <laughs> Just part I've been listening of me. to too much Abraham Hicks. <laughs> yeah. Physical apparatus. Yeah, physical apparatus. <laughs> no, my body is just how Temple. I get. It's how I get to experience the world. It's, nice. um, it's a huge part of my experience. My energy, of course, is so important to me, but my body is such like a temple. It, my body is a temple. Mm-hmm. It is where that energy is held, and how I treat my body, how I experience life is a lot physical. It's physically in my body, mm-hmm. and I completely see the difference of someone... Actually, I don't teach a very deep practice to someone who physically cannot hold that energy because it's going to wreck your nervous system. You're going to lose your shit. You're going to not be able to hold it and not be able to handle it. Um, so there, the ancient seers of Tantra talked all the time about purifying your body, about strengthening your body. And in a modern world, like it's not always doable the, the way that they dedicated in practice. So what are ways that we can hold that energy better? And a lot of the times with my clients, I send them to a personal trainer and I'm like, work with weights, strengthen your glutes and your hamstrings so that you're more grounded, strengthen your core so that you can hold that power and move in the world. Um, the way that your energy speaks for you and in that way it's a balance you're not constantly battling or you're not supercharged and then super depleted it's a very grounded and strong force to go forward in is this body and the more you grow your energy the stronger your body needs to be cool that's that's exactly (laughs) what I wanted to hear (laughs) thank you yeah Um, in terms of is there any nutrition advice that you could give I know every body is different, but sort of general principles in that spiritual process of strengthening your body to be able to basically tolerate joy, would you say? Yeah, I love that. Tolerate joy, feel it. Um, there, There's a balance, and from my experience, I everything I'm saying is through my experience. And that's the, most, yeah. the best way to teach, I'd say, yeah. Listen to your body. Like, when you start to really listen to your body and understand that your body is intelligent, your body is going to let you know exactly what you need. Right. And it's, I'm not talking about these cravings of, oh, I feel emotionally depleted, so I'm going to reach for carbs or sugar. It's like your body naturally will be inclined um, for today I need more fruit, tomorrow I need more meat. Um, I need more green vegetables. You're going to know intuitively once you start to really listen to your body and embrace that your body is intelligent, you learn to eat the way that you need to. And that's constantly going to change as you grow in different seasons that we're in. Like That's going to change and shift. Yes. Would you say that to get that intuition, one, one could cultivate a meditation practice? I'm just thinking of things that help people create more of a distance between the stimulus, oh my god, I need sugar, and their response? Yeah, um, try to go like a whole 30 or something very cleansing. That's what cleansing. we're doing with Cam in the men's group right now. It's great. Nice. Yeah. 
and just getting that body to a clean slate of I don't have chemicals or I have as little refined sugars in me as possible so that you really start to feel your body. Awesome. And what I tell my and clients... just for the listeners, the Whole30 diet is no dairy, no sugar, no wheat, um, no alcohol, um, and it's basically, yeah, nothing refined or processed. Yeah. So basically just good greens, uh, healthy proteins from... From, health, from good sources. Yeah, and if you find, hey, I'm really cleansing my body and I don't need meat right now, listen to that. Cool. And then whenever I started to study Tantra, um, I needed meat. My body wasn't strong enough. I wasn't getting the minerals or the life energy from animals that I needed. Mm. So I had, to, I was actually a vegan and I had to start eating meat mm. because my body needed it. And one way you were asking about ways to cultivate that intuition is not only to get your diet stable from a place of launching of, okay, try things, see how they feel after, but slowing down. It's so important when you eat a meal, actually look at your food, look at it. Your eyes and your sense of smell are going to give a response to you of whether that's appealing, um, whether you're pleased, whether you're sated. So look at your food, smell your food, and when you taste it, sometimes um, making a noise while you're eating actually helps to digest it or to help enhance. Um, there's just so many ways to engage all of your senses and slow down when you eat that your body actually processes it better. I'm taking a mindfulness-based stress reduction program right now, and we're talking about mindful eating, and I, I kind of wish, I love my teacher, but I kind of wish you were teaching it, because I feel like... You, you are the missing piece that I'm looking for in all of this self-cultivation I'm doing, which is um, allowing oneself to feel blissful while eating. We were eating a raisin. It took us 45 minutes as a group to eat a raisin, but there was no talk about the sensuality of that. And, um, or even just doing a standing, walking meditation. It can actually feel quite sexy and beautiful to slow down and just walk but there was no talk about that and I was allowing myself to go there but nobody else was and I was like, oh, am I being inappropriate? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're broaching this notion of including... Well, if nobody else is doing it, you know, it's you that needs to step up and do it. Right. <laughs> set, the, set the example. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's true. Like, I look at life through this lens of I'm opening myself up to pleasure and it's actually a great meditation for me because when I'm out of alignment or when I don't feel pleasure, I know that something's wrong. Oh, that's so good. I just went on a silent retreat for six days, and the teacher was speaking of, and I love him, the teacher was speaking of the middle path, and then bringing your awareness to your navel point, or when you're doing the walking meditation to your feet, label it. So for example, when you're, when you're doing the navel point meditation, you're, you're noticing the body inhaling, so you're saying to yourself, rising, rising. And when you notice the body fall, uh, exhaling, you're saying falling, falling. Then you can begin to note secondary objects of awareness. So maybe you start to have a lustful thought. Or maybe you start to feel super sexy in your own body. Mm -hmm. And then the instruction in the Vipassana style in the Buddhist was to just say loba, loba, which means craving or lustfulness or desire. Or maybe you hear a really loud noise and it irritates you so you you would you first say hearing hearing and then if it's irritating you might say dosa dosa which is aversion aversion and i was loving the whole process <clears throat> and i understand the point about <clears throat> he was saying um both desire and aversion are like the ends of a two-headed snake 
and either way you'll get bitten in the end. And par part of me was like, <laughs> yes, but that's not very fun. And yeah. then part of me was thinking, I haven't allowed myself to really feel sexy in my own skin until recently. And now I feel like I'm being stifled again. I know what he was saying, and I know that the Buddhist tradition isn't, isn't to say feel bad in your body. But I feel like the normal, the middle way that the Buddhists say, there's got to be an element of sensuality within that normal. Yeah, and, and even if some people call that lust, I, I, I think there's got to be a bit of a sense of blissfulness as the norm. Yeah. What do you think about that? Ooh, I'm going to unpack that one. That okay. was a lot in one. <laughs> um, because you're being taught by monks who have, who have vowed to surpass the body and to live for this higher and... You know, there's all these vows that you take, and a lot of it. It was a it was a dude. Uh, um, uh, his name's Wit. He's awesome. Okay. He but he'd been studying with monks. Yeah. He, he's a Western dude, like around our age. But he, you're right. He'd been studying with very traditional monks. And Wit, there's nothing wrong with that. That no. is a path and a way to enlightenment. And yes. so is the path of desire and the path of tantra and shakti, which is sexual energy. Um, the difference in that, when you say that there's this medium point, so Tantra is the razor's edge. You're constantly on the razor's edge of balancing your light and your shadow. Um, but the differences aren't desire and aversion. These aren't the opposite ends of the spectrum. In the Tantra view. And the Tantra scope. Um, so whenever you're balancing, you got to understand that it's also non-dualist. So everything is God and nothing is God, you know. And, um, you are in everything. Everything is that aspect of you. What you're seeing is you. Your soul's just watching this really fun movie of what's going on in your life. And it's all a part of you. It's all connected. Mm -hmm. um, however, there is that thread. Um, one example that I like to use is um, compliancy or following someone or being a sheep is the same energy as rebelling. It is the same energy because it's a reaction. And a reaction I, to a reaction to whatever belief that is. So if you see someone and you're just like, oh, I'm gonna follow you, mm -hmm. um, maybe it's from a belief of I don't know what I'm doing, I need help. Mm -hmm. And then that same belief of I don't know what I'm doing and you see somebody come up with the same information and you're just like, ah, oh, fuck off, like I got this. And either way you're reacting. Um, I don't believe that desire is a reaction to anything. It's just innate in us, and it's also a great indicator of what our soul really is here to do. You follow the cookie crumb of that desire, and it's not about just flesh. It's not about consuming. Um, there's a balance in desire of understanding the art of desire and understanding the divinity in desire because it's letting you know more of who you really are. And I think that that's what we're all here to do and what we want is to know more of who we are. Yes. And I, I asked actually the meditation teacher one day, I was noticing Loba. There was a cute guy. And I was like, oh my God, he's so cute. And so I labeled it Loba, Loba, desire, desire. And I asked the teacher, I said, my ego was lusting after this fellow and his beautiful abs. Um, but I know that my original self, my, the larger part of me, was loving him, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so could I 
like, do I have to speak as my ego self and say loba loba, or could I speak as my true self, even though I'm caught in my ego self in the moment and say like, um, you know, universal love, universal oneness, because I know that at the deepest level, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Well, and I'm cracking up on the inside, trying not to laugh in the mic, because loba in Spanish means she-wolf. So when you started saying loba, I was like, yeah, she-wolf, I love it. And then you're like, no, it's this desire concept that is outside of me. I like she-wolf better. Well, I've been been thinking about the First Nations view of the shaman. And, like, I've never identified really as a man, and I've never really felt like a woman. I feel like like kind of a bit of both. Mm -hmm. And apparently the shamans often were these sort of um, two-spirited individuals who who could go out and, and fight a battle and like win the battle but come home and put on a dress and raise the kids and access the divine feminine and so that she-wolf I kind of like that. yeah well and to answer your question you were asking like how do I address a desire with universal love or how do I speak from both places and it's not always that simple it's more for example through the eyes of Tantra. You walk into that yoga studio, you see somebody very attractive. And you realize, like, is it my energy reaching out to him? Is it my heart? Like, what chakra am I trying to express this from? Is it my lower chakras? You know, is it um, from a place of fear? Is it a place of conditioning? Or is it from a place of lust? Or is it a place of power? Like, it's, there's a scale to it. But part of Tantra is not not necessarily giving in to every desire, but not resisting it. Mm. Not clenching when you have that desire and needing to label it. You just notice, and then you enjoy your desire. You sit in that, and you're like, this excitement that I feel, I'm going to let it run through my bones and my nerve endings, and I'm just going to feel delicious whether that man acknowledges me or not. Like, I'm enjoying this desire in my body. Nice. I love that. Will you ever do a silent retreat? Will I ever do a silent retreat? I do. Did you ever lead one? Whatever, lead one. No. <laughs> I, would, I just, um, I feel like the work you're doing is awesome and, and um, yeah, just infusing sexual or sensual energy into a spiritual thing such as a Vipassana. I'm sure there's a way. For sure. And I collaborate so much with things that people wouldn't think are sensual or sexual. And As you're saying, you go to a traditional church. Yeah. And I love collaborating with people in that sense. When I think Vipassana, um, it's more of... Because I know it's an internal journey, Vipassana. Yeah. But even just allowing oneself, that piece I felt was missing was like, allow yourself to feel sexy and blissful in in this moment of, of stillness and inward focus. Yeah. What I where I go in that is I teach you the other way. I teach you the wild way. And then you bring that into Vipassana. Like, cool. you do that yourself. I don't have to do that. Like, right. you Can feel you and you it? learn in yourself, like, yeah. where that desire goes, where it, how it feels in your body. Because when I feel desire, I get really slow. And nice. I also talk with my hands. When you feel desire, maybe you dance. I yeah. don't know. Different it things. feels different. Um, it's going to feel different in your body than it does in my body. And right. so you're harnessing that feeling, that sensation of desire, and you're bringing it to your stillness. And a lot of that is integration. You have that masculine, feminine that you need to integrate. Right. And you play, you dance with it. Cool. And I think that that's something, never say never. Anytime I say I'm never going to do that, I end up doing it. So. 
I won't. Like, I like to see on your website. Right? Next week, Amy's it's like, do, <laughs> doing Amy's a silent, silent retreat disco. on Hornby Island. <laughs> silent disco. <laughs> That's awesome. What are some of your favorite ways to channel sexual energy? To channel sexual energy? Or to, ex to channel and to express it. To ex well, to express my sexual energy. Because you say the wild way. I wanna, yeah. I'm intrigued. I want to... Well, I think that one way is to get in sync with nature and the cool. moon cycles. So, and it's a full moon tonight. Yes. Um, one way that I love to check myself and make sure that I'm harnessing my energy is to goal set and to always make sure that I have something that I'm putting my energy towards because if not, it can get overwhelming. You get imbalanced pretty quickly if you don't have something you're working towards. Mm, I agree. Um, so I use the moon cycle. So full moon, I release, I heal. New moon, I plant seeds for the things that I want and I put energy towards that. Um, so that's just one of the ways that I really focus that energy yeah. um, and you know I use um, my eyes my voice my body as expressions of that energy mm -hmm. so um, if if I'm like meditating with an image that I want to incorporate in my life or um, we have you ever done eye gazing yeah yeah so eight hours of it yeah. non-stop in, in kundalini yoga it's so helpful yeah and yeah. Um, I find that whatever you're giving that energy to whenever you look at things and mm. you begin to feel your energy leaving through your eyes you can communicate so much whether that's with a person or with an image that represents something bigger than you mm. so you see in churches you see these um, pictures of Jesus or the mother Mary or uh, the big cross like you see these images and people are constantly giving images are giving energy to that and sometimes right. receiving they have those experiences with these icons and yes. We're giving and receiving energy through our eyes and through our voice. You love to sing. Yes. Um, I chant. I sing. You chant. Yeah. Nice. And I love chanting. It's one way to just feel that vibration. So. What's a chant that you love to sing? Could you sing it for listeners? No. I, yeah. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> well, your voice is beautiful. So even just you speaking feels like a chant. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I don't know why I'm so weird about that. Um, it's something. It's okay. It's your own private spiritual practice. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I've worked with um, a sound practitioner who does like shamanic um, chanting, and nice. we did a sound. Uh, we did a series called Vibrations in New York, where cool. we learned people, taught people how to feel vibration in your body mm. and where it's pooling in your body is normally where you have a blockage, mm. and maybe there it's like hypo or hyper, um, but teaching people through sound how to heal themselves and feel it in their body where they need that healing. Wow. It was really cool. That's really, really amazing. Cool. Sometimes I feel, and I don't know if it's because of all the kundalini yoga and bringing the energy up, I'll get sort of like a pooling of, like almost like a pressure headache. Do you have any techniques to bring the energy back down? Or what would you say if I was like coming to you as a client? It's like, ah, I like, do all this kundalini yoga and I've got a pressure headache here and there. So, um, of course, Pressure headaches is going to be your third eye. It's going to be your vision. Um, that can, depending on where it roots from, because a third eye blockage is never a third eye blockage. It's either from your root or from your third chakra. So there are mirrors in your body that loop it through. So usually it's from your root chakra. So there's a pattern. There's a fear. Um, there is. It's funny because when I'm talking to you, it's completely fine. Because <laughs> you're so loving. Good. Yeah. I'm also working on it 
being really grounded. So I think this nice. whole week, um, especially with this full moon, it really brought up a bunch of root chakra. Like fear that I'm not going to be a good mother one day. Fear uh-huh. that I'm not going to be able to give the way that I want to give. You know, all these fears. All those fears we have. Yeah. And so I've really been in my root this week. And, good for you. I yeah. feel it. Yeah. yeah. It's rubbing off on me. Awesome. What are, can I ask you some of your techniques for staying in, in that root in a grounded way? Yeah, um, well, squats are great. Squats are so important to you because it's a physical manifestation of your root chakra is your butt, your hamstrings, your glutes. Um, And it's so important to keep that strong. And it's also when you're moving that part of your body, you're releasing so much of that energy. And it's such a great way to release and clear space. Releasing stagnant energy from the roots? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And you were saying this kind of ties into when you go to a Kundalini class, and we, I was feeling this too, is like you allow, can allow yourself to have like a full body sensual experience in a Kundalini class, whereas like most people, especially in the orthodox Kundalini, it's very like contained and you're not really allowed, it's an unwritten rule, you're not really allowed to experience that much sexuality in the class. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're doing squats, grounding yourself, are you allowing yourself to have that sort of sensual experience mm. while you're doing it? It's very primal. You're getting into primal, this I like that primal word. part of your body. Yes. So um, I had a session with a client the day before yesterday, and we were really working at her roots. Cool. And so we were doing like a bridge pose, and we were screaming at the top. So it was like inhale so back the, down. Uh, pelvic lifts? Uh, yeah. Cool. And we were doing pelvic lifts, and at the top we were just primal screaming, getting that rage out, and letting our hands turn to claws. And we were... You know, yelling expletives and really getting that energy of that anger that she never said out loud out of her body. And that was a really great way to do it. Nice. Nice. So squats. Yeah. Chanting. Um, And, well, your root chakra is also the earth. So sitting in the earth, like literally it can be as simple as going outside and sitting in the dirt or walking around barefoot and you're just feeling that rhythm, that thrumming of the earth. Yes. And it's a great way to really feel that connection. Cool. Walking barefoot, I love it. <laughs> I find that um, that really good. Um, I want to ask you also, or do you have any other tips for, for root chakra grounding? For root chakra grounding, yeah. Um, you know, we hear about drum circles and that thrumming and that Um, the beauty behind music so we were talking about music and singing and chanting Um, a great way to really get into your root is drums that beating of drum feeling that pulsing in your tailbone and linking up your body with the earth with the drum and you feel it you start to feel that in your body Um, there's a million ways to ground um, but also through eating meat Um, I I started eating meat again yeah. And I try to get it, I get it from a place called Pasture to Plate, which is from one farm that's organic in northern BC. Mm-hmm. And I was finding very ungrounded. I was running a marathon, eating just like vegetables, and very ungrounded. I was actually attracting very ungrounded experiences into my life. Yeah, so sometimes we need meat. And, yeah. and it's so interesting to me. So Native American culture, um, my lineage, my family, um, on both sides are actually Native are American. Native? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And wow. it's interesting to me because I always had such a reverence for animals, so I stopped eating meat, and I was like, I'm going to feel better because I'm not eating That's animals. how I was feeling. I watched, um, what's that movie, uh, Earthlings, narrated by Joaquin Phoenix, about the animal cruelty. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. made me 
and how I realized that I needed meat and that it wasn't a bad thing is part of the culture um, a lot of Native American culture is in reverence of the animal but of course they never stopped eating the animals and it wasn't because they were primitive like thoughtless people they were actually very thoughtful mm -hmm. it was a part of taking that spirit inside of you blessing it honoring that letting them continue to live through you and vice versa it, it's that if you know, you're killed by an animal then in your next life that animal is going to be part of your spirit and you can call on that energy and that strength that they've given you. Wow. So, so it's connection. a very symbiotic relationship. Yeah. We just, as Westerners, we oftentimes don't even consciously have never been there. Yeah. And I mean, something that I do with my partner and people will look at us in restaurants and be like, what are you doing? Um, we bless our food. We're like, oh, look at it. Awesome. And we bless it. We thank the animal. And we take, take a moment. It doesn't have to be this thing. It can just be looking at your food going, thank you for this life. Thank you for what you've given me and the nourishment. That's amazing. Thank you for all these nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> sure. So good. Um, I wanted to ask you, my whole life I found it frustrating that there is what I perceive to be so much homophobia in this society. And, you know, I've had experiences of, like, holding hands with a guy when I was living in New York, in, in um, Chelsea, the gay area. Mm -hmm. And then this dude, like, started calling us expletives, like, homophobic expletives, and then took out a switchblade and started chasing us up the street. And, and that's just one of many instances in my life I felt very attacked and unsafe while expressing myself as somebody who's not 100% heterosexual. And so I feel it's almost like a kid who, you know, got his foot, his toe stubbed by a train, and now whenever he sees, he sees a train, he gets triggered. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, my, with the gay side of myself. I, I still get kind of triggered whenever I want to be intimate with a guy or if I'm about to hold hands with a, uh, somebody I'm dating down the street. I'm like, oh, what if I get attacked? So, like, my nervous system still feels triggered by all those experiences. So I guess the first thing is, do you have any practices to help get over that? Mm -hmm. And then B, like, where does homophobia come from? It's so um, pervasive in our society, and I always want to be a origin of this, because, like, as you said, in first nation societies, they thought differently about things. Yeah. They had up to four genders, and, um, and then, you know, in places like Edo, Japan, or ancient Greece, Apparently, you know, the norm was not heterosexuality, but rather bisexuality to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for your first question of what are practices to cultivate that safety in your body and mm. living your fullest expression of who you are without going into fight or flight, um, that is something that we can open up in a session where I go deep into where that wound is, where your body's holding on to it, because sometimes it's generational, sometimes it's karmic, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it is because you had that terrifying experience where somebody pulled a knife on you. Um, but a few ways that you can start to really cultivate that. Um, I love our hands. Our hands are such a great way to bring us out of fight or flight. So there's a couple of techniques that you can use whenever you start to notice you're leaving your body or you're going into that place of, I feel unsafe. Um, continue to breathe because breath is letting you know that, hey, I'm safe, it's okay. And when we get scared, we first thing we do, cut off our breath. Right. And then what our mind and our body do 
is it then continues to trigger that fight or flight mode. And it's not, we're not safe, we're not safe, we're not safe. Our heart rate increases, our digestive tract contracts. Um, our eye sphincters, our anal sphincters, they all contract. Um, and what you can do is continue to breathe. And then there's a very simple technique that I use. And it's, of course, going deeper into the wound is something completely different. But in the moment you're having these panics in this fight or flight mode, gently like a very feather light touch, just touch your skin mm. and continue to breathe in and out through your nose long and deep with this feather light touch. Mm. And it really helps around your heart if you go it's around your belly. It's feather light touch. And what it does, on a few different levels, on an energetic level, it's moving energy. Right. But it's actually that soothing soft touch that we're opening up to. Right. It's calming down our nervous system. And if it's done around your heart, it's spreading oxytocin, which means that it's safe to love, it's safe to bond, that it's okay to receive and to give. Um, and to really get into that breathing motion with your fingertips and with your breath and just intentionally giving yourself that nurturing love because you're safe and your body is calm and it's cool and collected and it's a practice. It's not something that you want to do just in the moment. It's something that you cultivate. So maybe take five minutes every day to breathe and lightly touch your skin and to calm yourself down. And then in the moment, you're probably already going to be a little bit calmer, and then you have cool. this tool that will go, oh, wait, I'm safe. I love it. Very good technique. Thank you. Yeah. I'm definitely going to implement that into my practice. Thank and you. it's just a tantric touch. And certain um, certain practices, it's called what's like an air touch, I think is what they call it, and okay. it moves energy. So when you hear about tantric touch, yes. um, that tantric touch or tantric massage, a lot of it is this... Feather very touch. feather light touch because it's moving energy it's pulling it up to the surface cool and so you become very sensitive oh it feels good when you do it yeah <laughs> I've had a lot of practice <laughs> um, but it's just pulling your energy to the surface and cool. it's a very a lot of sensuality is very subtle it's like allowing yourself to soften into feeling and soften into oh my god the wind feels so good on my skin right now yes yeah. yes I, um, I had a bit of a run-in with, with drugs um, a few years ago, maybe about a year of you know, cocaine use, and I felt like it kind of blunted a little bit of my sensitivity. And from being a person who was already a little bit sort of anxious, it wasn't beneficial. But I love what you said about the subtlety and slow, and, and things are just light, and I'm, I feel like I'm recalibrating my nervous system to be able to tap into those subtleties of intimacy, sensuality, whether it's with myself or with another. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't drink coffee anymore because <laughs> of that. Yeah. I do matcha, I do green tea. Uh, but yeah, are there certain foods that you would recommend to avoid for somebody who is wanting to experience the subtleties and in my sort of shoes? Again, it goes back to letting your body find its own rhythm and find its own stability in place of like, oh, I feel really good. Where, of course, sugar and caffeine are crazy how when I cut out sugar, I feel so much better. Like this past three weeks of not having sugar, it's amazing. Mm. I also wanted to touch, you were asking the origins of homophobia. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What are they? Well, this is also not a scientific answer. This is just something that it's so funny um, meeting you here in Vancouver. 
my mother was gay and it was not okay. She was born in the 40s in Texas in a small town and it was not okay for her to be gay. And so she ended up having a really tough life and she became a Jehovah's Witness, which is like an extremely strict cult. I remember once they yeah. came to my door when I was like 15 and they are like, we want you to become Jehovah's Witness. And I was like, I'm not allowed to, I'm gay. And they're like, well, even rapists and serial killers and murderers can become Jehovah's Witnesses if they repent. And I was like, I was like, I have to go. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, but I was like, are you comparing gay people to like serial killers? It. So I can only imagine yeah. that's been really hard for her. It was tough. Um, and we can talk all day on religion. Like I, I studied religion. I went to Bible school to mm. study religion and the way people think and the psychology behind it. I love it. I'm fascinated. Mm. Um, but in my mom's situation they had a body of elders and they're like, oh, you've sinned, you need to get married and your gay will go away. So they did it like an arranged marriage with my father to my mother because she was gay and they were trying to get the gay away. Wow. And she cheated on him with a woman and they were like, have kids, you'll be fine. You will no longer be gay once you have children. And it was just one of those situations where growing up, like, I had a horrible childhood because I had no model of normalcy with these parents who acted like strangers, and it was just chaos. Um, but looking back at my mother, like, I can look at her and go, I'm sorry. I am trying to do what I can so that nobody else has to experience that. Um, because the more that I... And I you know, for one of those reasons, not just my mother, but my own experiences, I just studied sexuality as much as I can and to go as deep as I can into the ancient practices, into the psychology, into the chemistry behind it. And when it comes to homophobia, and it's something that is really nurture. It's not nature. It's not something that we are born with to be afraid of people who are different than us. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to homophobia, I truly believe that it's a created in a system of I can control you if I can identify you. Mm -hmm. And when it came to things um, like homosexuals or same-sex couples or things that don't exactly check a cute little consumer box that fits into a nuclear family that our system mm. of government, especially in America, is built upon, right. then it destroys the whole thing. It's almost as if your sexual inclinations can bring down the whole world. And in a way that they can, they can bring down these systems of oppression that are used to keep people stuck in, a, in this life of anxiety of you have to keep your head down, don't ask questions. Have, get a wife, buy a house, have some kids, retire at this age, and it becomes like this, am I safe if I have enough money and I'm not going to be safe when you're asking a different question. You're asking, where do I belong? Like, well, I don't belong here and I don't want a wife and I don't want 2.5 kids and a little picket fence and I'm not going to buy the things that you're selling me because it doesn't feel right and you're shaking the whole system. And I think that that's just a system of control. And we look at early religion, and it wasn't really about the ideology of the religion. It was about control of the political system. It was about claiming this land for whatever country you stood for. It was about conquering. It was about growing your empire. And a lot of the tactics from war bled over into religion, and a lot of 
our governmental system is on that fear of I need to identify you and control you and conquer you. And for me, I think that a lot of homophobia is stemmed from that idea of, no, you need it to be this way because that's what fits into our government. Do you think, I think that's beautiful, not beautiful, but it's, I feel that what you're saying is true. Do you think that, like I'm thinking about ancient Greece, apparently the norm was bisexuality, oftentimes men and women would be married, and then there would be also same-sex love that was permitted. Um, and apparently there were like seven or eight different names for different types of love. And men would have sex with each other. Um, and there was also the idea of like an older man would mentor a younger man and there would be sexual interaction too. Um, I'm wondering if in this modern day, if the powers that be, whoever they are, um, do they want men to be more competitive and thus have kind of created homophobia or endorsed homophobia through the media? Um, to keep men, because when, when we have sex, oxytocin is released, right? Mm -hmm. So take that away from men and just have them constantly competing in the rat race. Like, is there something, I wonder if that's a piece. Quite possibly. Um, well, whenever you say Greek you're, and you're talking about competing men, that would be the Romans. So right. you're going from that Greek area of, art and philosophy to Roman, we're gonna blood crush and compete and build and conquer and holy Roman Empire, right? And it's funny, because <laughs> even in that movie 300, I remember there was quite a lot of homophobia in the movie built into it. I don't know how historically accurate that was, but they're like, oh, those Spartans are a bunch of fags, basically. So I'm wondering, yeah, so like Greek was maybe more free and more artful, or artsy, and then it went to that Roman sort of I can't speak for Greek being freer, but no, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I can't speak on that. Who knows, um, Who knows right? Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of things that, I mean, the system's in place. I actually went to a talk recently where Simon Sinek, who um, is a business consultant, yeah. like he's, um, he was talking about how we needed to go from the Greek style of philosophy and whiteboarding and overthinking everything and philosophy to the Roman ideology of building to be successful because that's what lasts and I thought about that and I was just like I get where you're going and I see that it's been done in the past but it doesn't feel good to me and um, it was really interesting that you're bringing that up of like the Greek and the Roman now because it was very recent I think it was like last fall I went to this program that he spoke at and it really was of like perpetuating you will be successful if you follow, follow this model and this is the way of like blood, sport, conquer, build. Yeah. Right, right. And there's not a lot of room for nature in that because nature is cyclical and it's also, um, it's, things need to be destroyed. Things need to be rebirthed. Things need to constantly be changing because right. that's the natural cycle of yeah. life. And even the nature piece, um, scientists were first saying like in the 50s, oh, there's no homosexuality in nature. And then in the 70s and 80s, they're saying, oh, we've seen 150 species that exhibit homosexual behavior. And then in the 90s and 2000s, when I was at UBC, when over 15,000 species, we see bisexuality and homosexuality. So even in nature, it's like, there is room for a diversity of expression. Yeah, absolutely. Versus it's society, not all which about, is all boxed. And yeah. This is right, this is wrong. Absolutely. And I mean, what if we take out 
all of the constructs of, well, if you want kids, you have to be straight. What if that wasn't even an issue? Or we go back to these communities of, like, community bringing up a child, where it's just right. like, like yes, she birthed you, but we're going to raise you, and we're right. all going to teach you things. And that blows my mind. I'm like, yes. okay, there's a lot of Which was the that. norm in prior to Western infiltration in Canada, in, in hunter-gatherer societies, yeah, the whole community would raise the child, if my anthropological studies at UBC are true. <laughs> right? And God, wouldn't that be great, where it's just like you don't have the pressure of, I'm the one who fucked my kid up, you're like, yeah. oh, there's a community. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I find that so many of my clients, and even myself, we were like having to heal from our childhood, and right. having to heal from our for sexual experiences, that it's just like, what if we don't have to heal from that anymore? What if we just get to live and blossom from that place that kids get right, where it's just like, they are who they are. They're unashamed. They don't carry guilt. Right. How amazing would that be? It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, I remember being like maybe six or seven in swimming lessons and looking at myself in the change room and just being like, oh, I love myself. What's all this talk about you know, people not liking themselves? I'll never not like myself. I love myself. And then a few later, years later, of course, I, I go into the, the spiral of, of sort of a self-aversion um, that I feel like I'm just coming out of now. And um, apparently when the Dalai Lama came to North America for the first time, he was shocked by the levels of self-aversion that he saw and that his, his uh, students were expressing. And yes, I, I know that this, this self-hate is not normal, mm-hmm. it's not natural to the species, and it's not universal. Yeah, it's a cultural thing. Absolutely, and I, we have this weird, weird, weird idea that having an aversion to our humanity and our sexuality and our bodies means that we're enlightened or we're holier. And it's just not true. It's like you're just ignoring and cutting off parts of yourself. And not just your body or your sexuality. You're probably cutting off your joy and your capacity for happiness as well. Yeah, people do it in a a so-called spiritual way where they just, no, I'm not a sexual being anymore. I'm going to put on my white turban, wear all white. And then I've seen it also in women's and mainstream women's and gay men's culture, where it's all about how you have to look. And you know, I have you know quite a number of gay acquaintances who do drugs. You know, I was involved in the drug scene, and then we'll take injections of testosterone. They'll be up all night, and then they'll be eating at McDonald's, and then taking supplements to try to compensate for this self-aversion. Yeah. And so people deal with their self-aversion through, through like spiritual bypassing or by, you know, buying into these stereotypes of how you're supposed to look and then you kind of feel like an empty shell. I was feeling like an empty shell. And I was like, oh, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. I need something to connect myself back to myself. And I'm so grateful that I found Kundalini Yoga. Even though it can be a little orthodox at times, at least it gave me a contained space where I could practice just feeling my navel point, being in the present moment, and just feeling like a sovereign entity, and then grow from that place. Yeah, I love Kundalini. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad you love it. (laughs) We should go to a class. Yeah, I would love that. Um, You might like Gloria's class at Semper Viva, because she gets you to dance, and she plays fun music, and... Cool. Awesome. That's I like that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's your favorite thing about Kundalini? Um, it's the idea that I am 
not like set in stone. Who I am is not, it's not the who I am, but it's who I perceive myself to be in this moment is not set in stone. And yes. it's such a lightning path of using your breath, using your body, using, using your body as sacred geometry. So a lot yes. of the positions we're putting ourselves in are just radiating these angles and numbers to the universe acting as an antenna. Right. And we're calling in different energies. Um, I myself, when I work, and a lot of, I teach Kundalini Tantra, so there's a lot of overlap to what we're talking about with yes. Kundalini. Um, Is there a danger to Kundalini? Like some people are, you know, one of my friends, she studies with Sadhguru, and she, oh, Sadhguru says Kundalini can be dangerous. And I went back and I read his article. He just said that you must treat it with reverence yeah. and respect. And like, is there any danger though of like having a physical uh, body that um, is not robust enough to handle the energy that you're calling in or is that just a egoic fear of mine? No, I've totally seen it. But it's one of those things where um, Kundalini is pure light. It's not an evil thing. It's not this um, scary thing. It's just pure light that you have access to and can run through your body. Right. Whenever your brain or your nervous system isn't strong enough or fortified enough to quite handle that energy, you see a lot of nervous breakdown. Um, you see a lot of illness or sickness in people, um, a lot of depression, a lot of amplification of whatever illness that was already in place. Right. So I don't... Um, like I said, we were talking earlier, whenever I take on a client, I look at their overall diet, I look at their the shape that their body's in, I look at their mental health and their stress levels because I don't go into such a deep practice with people who are not there yet. We go into like Hatha yoga or we talk about, um, I send a lot of people to like a personal trainer or to a nutritionist and I'm just like, you're gonna feel better. And we start a very light practice before you really open up to that Kundalini energy because it blasts through you. It's a lightning path. Yeah. Um, and if you're not strong or you're not ready, that I, it can be very painful and cause a lot of suffering. And that being said, it's not my job to gauge of like, well, this person's not ready for Kundalini. I just, out of concern, I'm like, if you're really stressed out or you have this health issue, let's work on that before you try to take on these copious amounts of energy. Yeah. Because you go a little wonky and it's, sometimes it's yes. difficult to integrate. Yes, true that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken with, with my teachers about this and they said, well, you know, like we've been teaching it for 40 years. We've never, in our experience, seen somebody go off the deep end from it. But they are very strict about, like, you know... They, they believe it's important to cover your head. Oh, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, we're just filming a podcast. Yeah, yeah, but good to see you. I'll see you next time, yeah. Um, she's lovely, she's one of my students. Um, um, yeah, so they've never seen somebody come out nuts. But they're teaching a system they're that teaching purifies a system. your body. And um, they really advocate, you know, putting on white and, and uh, putting on some sort of head covering to protect the crown chakra. And... Um, they, those things seem to help. And I, in my experience, I've found that I thought I was a lot weaker than I actually was. And a lot of the beliefs about my so-called not being strong enough were in my mind. And then just, my teacher said, well, just do it. Like, do 40 days of Kirtan Kriya and don't make excuses, just do it. Yeah. And when I just made myself do it, I felt like sometimes 
my whole belief, my story about, oh, my nervous system isn't strong enough yet was actually just an excuse not to do the work. Yeah. I feel yeah. that, yeah. Um, that being said, bringing a little mystical. Okay. So I am an activator. So I can activate cool. Kundalini without cool. a practice. And nice. In, in yourself and others. Yes. Cool. And so with that, it can be very dangerous. And that's more of the tantric path, the goddess path. Right. The red path of tantra that oh. Yogi Bhajan was like, oh, I don't like, know about this. Be yeah. careful, stick with the white tantra. Exactly. <laughs> um, because I myself can activate it. I know plenty of others from who are practiced who can activate kundalini, and it does blast through. And I see. Um, had some terrifying experiences before I really knew what it was. Um, I remember being with a lover who was not spiritual at all, and his kundalini activated while we were together, and he released this huge trauma from his root chakra, and we both experienced it in real time, and he freaked out and was like, you're a witch, and da, da, da. I was like, well, kind of, but it's like, not, I think, but he had such a tough time, he went into... A deep depression he's like I, and his spiritual gifts opened and he's very aware of energy and very aware of his past traumas and his past lives and it was right. just a flood of information that he was not prepared for I see. and it was like the perfect storm of here you go here's a ton of information thrown at you and you're not crazy I promise like I see what you mean yeah yeah because it's not just Yogi Bhajan's Kriyas that can activate Kundalini. Yeah. And I suppose it can be activated to varying degrees and intensities. Yes. Well, I mean, that part is up to the universe. <laughs> I, I have a practice that, in my mind, has varying degrees, but it really isn't me. It's whatever comes through me, and I feel like, yeah, it's just whatever happens, happens. Um, but I am more mindful more careful about that yeah. because I had that was only one example that I was like oh. well I feel I feel from you like as you're talking I've gotten sort of intuitive hits about my past just from looking into your eyes and some of it's pretty intense yeah. and I know that this person right here isn't ready for all that information and I sense that you're gauging that too just maybe even <laughs> unconsciously so um, is that okay is that okay to for me to consciously go, okay, I'm not, for, for anybody, I'm not quite ready to go down that road. We I have, need to strengthen my physical apparatus first and well. then. Trust yourself, trust yeah. your instincts. I think we're moving out of that time of looking to our guru and looking to a teacher who knows better than us. Who knows you better than you? Right. You have to fortify that connection. That Wahe guru, you're your own guru. Yes. Like, step up into that. But it really is about that connection of trust yourself and when you need help the right help will come yes. at the right time. That's kind of what I got most from you. From the, the non-verbal looking into your eyes, it's like, you are your own teacher. You are your own guru. And, um, yeah, I can't verbalize it now, but it was like this deep knowing. Oh, it was, it was the piece about, like, past lives and karma and stuff. And just, like the issue of even like the issue of homophobia maybe that's one layer of it but it could be something deeper you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that's why <laughs> when you're like well, how do you fix it and it's like it just depends on where it comes from and if it's ready to wiggle or if it's going to be passed on to your kids <laughs> I mean <laughs> 
it's how it goes. And I, it's tough sometimes because we're in such a world where you have to market yourself and you have to put on paper what it is that you're selling. And it's just like, I, as a teacher and a conduit, have the toughest time saying, hey, you're probably going to meet yourself in your past life and you're going to meet your angel guides and all this. And it's like, but I can't guarantee that. So I'm just going to say I'm going to teach you some yoga and we're going to breathe together. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, it's a wild, wild world that we live in. Yes. And there are no rules at this point. I've fully embraced this life of the way that I thought I would look. It doesn't. And I'm just listening and surrendering to that. And cool. I've taken me all over the world now I'm in Canada and I'm just I don't have a timeline of being here but I know I'm supposed to be here so I just roll with it and I let it flow and I mainly work with women Um, I was shown really earlier this year to stop working with men and it just wasn't for me it's like not this natural flow and I think part of me is like dancing around can I trust you how can I not trust you you know and like am I not healed enough to do this and it's just like take out the mind chatter maybe you're just not supposed to work with men right yeah we I was because I'm in this men's group with like Cam and like I don't know if you met like Cam's friend Brad yeah and like they're all like pretty built tall um dudes and um I don't know, like, I, I, I feel partly like that, but as we were saying before, I also feel partly feminine. I could see you working really well with, like, trans people or, like, people who aren't fully one thing. Yeah, absolutely. And actually how I started, um, I guess, like, I coach, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And whenever I started, when I moved to New York City, people would be like, teach me what you do, teach me what you do. So I set up, I would go to drag shows cool. at the Ritz oh, over nice. in Hills, or, um, like the East Village? No, no, no. It's it's kind of Hell's Kitchen. It's like upper Upper West Side. Oh, okay. So the Ritz drag show, and I would cool. set up a table of like butt plugs and nice. dildos, and I had this specific brand that I'm so in love with that it's like what's the brand? Chakrams. Oh, okay, Chakrams. Yeah, and okay. so it's actually um, crystals. So they're it's like obsidian Crystal dildos. Yes, nice. so it's like obsidian, clear quartz, jasper, mm, jade, awesome. and and butt plugs. Uh-huh. Oh, that would be helping to maybe balance some root issues. Oh possibly. my God! When I said I was doing root chakra work earlier yeah. this week, that's what I was using. So yeah, what kind sure. of stone were you using? I was using an obsidian. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So it's very grounding. It's very clearing. It's very protective energy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I need to, I need to set up a session with you. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. And I that's how I started my practice was I would go to these drag shows and so many in the LGBTQ community are holding on to that shame, that guilt, that pain of I was born this way and I'm being punished for it. Yeah. And so that's how I started was in the LGBTQ community. It mm. uplifted me, it helped me because when I started teaching sacred sexuality and tantra, nobody was biting. And it was, like, people would come to me in secrecy. Like, the women would be like, oh, don't tell anybody that. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. Like, this is for you. And so it's mainly the LGBTQ community who were like, okay, I'm already on the outskirts. I might as well feel good in my body. Yes. And then Donald Trump became president, and my business took off. Wow. Because so many people were now able to pinpoint, oh my god, like, I'm allowed to say it out loud, my president just said the word pussy, and he sexually assaults women, and now I'm opening up my voice for the first time, and I don't know how to heal. 
Wow. So it really launched my business whenever... It was like the contrast that some people needed to get clear about what their desires were. And exactly. I'm not willing to live in shadows anymore. Yeah. Cool. And very comfortable saying, hey, I've been sexually assaulted. Like, how many generations of women were ne- or in- and men, oh my God, so many men too, who were just not allowed to say it, who couldn't say it, because if they, do- if they did, they were going to die. That's the belief. Okay. If I open up my mouth, I'm going to die. Crazy. Yeah. One more question. Sure. Um, what does your beautiful infinity tattoo mean to you? Mm. So, for those of you who can't sing, um, it's <laughs> an Ouroboro. So it's it's an Ouroboro. So it's two snakes eating each other's tails. Oh, cool. So the white one is the masculine. The black one is the feminine. Cool. And it represents Kundalini. Nice. Um, it's also sex you know it's the primal sexuality and the serpent for me is a huge symbol in my life that comes up over and over and over again um very grounded magical energy um but it represents all these things it also represents um tantra sri vidya for me it's a Sri Vidya is a lineage of Tantra that I studied under. and That's, That was who your teacher mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And actually, we had this huge ceremony um, after an integration period and after a training, and we had this huge buyer ceremony. And after the ceremony, my teacher was like, all right, let's do it. So all of us got this tattoo. Oh, you all got this tattoo? Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice. Thank you. So, I love the, the it's very in, uh, intricate. Thank you. Yeah. It's sacred, it, geom- sacred geometry. Yeah. And it was like at a kitchen table after a tantric fire ceremony one night out in like Venice Beach. So wow. it was just like, yeah, I've never planned on getting a tattoo. And then what was interesting is um, because we, you know, you learn the tantric principles of like pain pleasure and um, a lot of turning your pain into healing or orgasmic energy. So I was like, all right, I'm going to test this out. Into healing or what energy? Orgasmic energy. So transmuting that, so I'm terrible with pain, and I was terrified, and that's one of the reasons why I never got a tattoo. So I sat there, and I was like, I know how to do this, and I had an orgasmic tattoo session. Oh, my gosh, because that's when I feel in Kundalini, like when we have to hold our hands, like, in sacred geometry positions for like so long, mm-hmm. I can either go to pain and discomfort or I can train myself to go to like orgasmic bliss. But because it was so traditional Kundalini, I didn't feel like I was allowed to do it. Yeah. But I, I think that's so cool. I'm gonna have to like study your lineage because yeah. I feel like it's some, a part of my spiritual path that I like to call Yeah, there's so many things that we're crossing over together yeah. with. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. Very cool. And it's, it's the path of the goddess. So it's, Funny story, one quick little story. I got my arm caught in a door. I slammed my arm in a door in a weird way. And I I was like, I'm just going to like fully relax into this moment. And I like just allow myself to turn the pain into pleasure. And like, I'm sure I would have really damaged my arm had I not. But I felt like I was so surrendered to the moment and to my bliss that like it healed so quickly mm-hmm. compared to me pushing against the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I got stung by a bee right here. Uh-huh. Like, God last week and I was just like I got stung and I was like okay this is gonna hurt like there's a yellow jacket on my leg Mm. and I was like or I can breathe and I can circulate this energy and it was like this delicious tingling (laughs) up and down my leg and then it didn't swell and it was fine I took the stinger out myself I just pinched it out and I was like okay it's not so bad it's like the um, Carl Jung what you resist persists 
So yeah. if you can learn to embrace it. And well, and a lot with pain is we brace ourselves and we tense our body and we stop breathing. Right. And that actually sends a signal to our brain of ow, 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 ow. Right. But if we relax our body and we learn in these times of like, I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to relax completely and continue to breathe deeply, our pain receptors and our pleasure receptors are so close mm. that it just switches into pleasure over time and practice. Cool. You learn of like, I'm gonna completely relax. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you just blow my mind. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for all your wisdom and for being on the show. And I look forward to having a session with you and, and learning more. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you online? So my new website mm -hmm. is www.womanandme.com. Awesome. All spelled out. Okay. Woman and me, not not the insignia for and. Correct. Okay. Uh -huh. Women, womanandme.com. Yep. Awesome. And then Twitter, or Facebook, or, or Instagram. I don't have Twitter. Um, my Instagram, Instagram is Amy A M Y dot J I N D R A. And so it's Perfect. Amy Dungendra, and Amy then Dungendra. Facebook awesome. is Amy Dungendra. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Dance when you're broken open. Dance if you torn the bandage off. Dance in the middle of the fighting. Dance in your blood. Dance for change. When you're perfectly free, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. Learn to dance in the rain. And that's it, folks, for this week. Thank you so much for tuning into my interview with Amy. I hope you learned as much as I did. I hope you have a beautiful week. And this outro song is a song I wrote from my album, Wild Horses, which you can find on iTunes. And it's featuring one of my dear friends, Lara Kozen, and flautist Pepe Danza. Have a good week.